Ani, everyone. Welcome back to Let's Bond. I am your host, Jody Anderson, calling in from the unceded, unsurrendered territory of the Algonquin people. And before we dive into this episode, I would like to thank our returning listeners. And if you're new here, welcome. Season one of our Let's Bond podcast is available across multiple streaming platforms. So I encourage you to go back, have a listen, because we have had some phenomenal guests and maybe even give us a review and share with a couple of people in your network. So let's get started. Today's episode, we are talking about women in finance. Yay! And I have a very special guest with us today, Don Madabi Leach. Welcome, Don. Well, I, I'm so honored to be here, and I'm speaking to you from Treaty 1 territory in Manitoba, but I'm originally from the Robinson-Huron Treaty area. That's where my home is in Ontario. Welcome. So it's a busy time. Everybody's on the road and especially someone as as incredible as you. I'm sure you get tons of invitations to go all over this beautiful country of ours. I do. I've been really uh, blessed to be able to visit from coast to coast to coast all throughout this country. I think we live in the most beautiful place in the world. Great. So, Don. Today, we're here talking about women in finance. So, and I'm, I'm so excited and grateful that you're able to join us here today because you're certainly someone who has blazed a path for so many um, women, so many of us just to see, oh my gosh, it's nice to see ourselves reflected in this type of leadership. Um, certainly an industry that's typically and historically been uh, dominated by our male counterparts. So I want to, I want to talk to you a little bit, but let's back it up and, and talk about finance and what that means, because there is a difference between finance and accounting. So from your perspective, can you maybe break that down for us? Well, I think the difference between finance and accounting is uh, when I think of finance, it's it's the area where we talk about capital and then the needs that people have uh, for capital to start a business, to buy a home, to uh, uh, to really sometimes just even go on a on a vacation. But I, but for sure, uh, when you talk about accounting, and that's where we track the numbers. That's where we track budgets. And uh, we try to make sure in, in terms of accounting that we know how much we can leverage in terms of capital to do other things. It gives us an idea of what our budgets are, what we're eligible for. So when I think about accounting, I I, I, I like to rely on numbers people, accountants and bookkeepers to kind of just look at the, they give you a record of what you've spent in the past but uh, looking forward, I like to think of, okay, looking at, at being informed about, you know, spending habits or how we've managed our organizations, our communities. You look at what you have, it tells you a story of where you've been financially, but then that helps you to make decisions on where you want to go and the capital that you need to get there. So those are the kinds of things that I look at when I think about uh, finance and and the difference between that and accounting. I love to work with accountants, but ultimately it's up to you to use the information they give you to make future decisions. So accounting is telling a story of your past, right? And where you're at. Yeah. And, and but it, when it comes to finance, that's the area that I work in every day. And I'm really honored to be able to work in that field. It wasn't anything that I ever planned to do, but, uh, to me, the world of finance helps people to do the things like I was talking about, you know, buying a home, 
starting a business, going on a vacation, buying a new vehicle. Those are the kinds of things that um, I feel that in the field of finance, you're helping people to achieve their dreams. And am I ever fortunate to be able to help people achieve their dreams? And you brought it up and it's a great segue. What was your path towards where you are today? I have to say, first of all, this was never part of my thinking when I was a young woman. I never thought I would have the capacity or the even the opportunity to be involved in the field of finance. What I found is that I I was a good writer. I've always been a good writer. And so that when I was doing the work that I did, I started working to in the field of uh, policy de- development, actually. And I always focused on law because that's what I wanted to, the field I wanted to go into until I actually worked at a law firm <laughs> and saw, oh, I don't know if I really, really want to do this. I, I worked doing real estate claims in one of the big law firms in Toronto. And, uh, and I thought, oh, I'm not sure if this is where I really want to be. So I started just writing and helping with policy developments, trying to make uh, help with policies to, to create a better world, really. That's how I think of policy development. And so what helped me that with that writing uh, ability and, and getting a, a real better understanding of the landscape for Indigenous people in Canada, because really always, I think every one of us grew up wanting to help our communities. Every single Indigenous person I know, I've never heard of one that wanted to just do the work because of um, uh, a, a career or anything like that. It was always with the impetus that we wanted to help our communities. So in, in my case, I was helping our communities to do a business plan. I did some consulting with communities to do this, a business plan to start up a financial institution. We had heard there's some other financial institutions in Canada, not, not many at the time. I'm talking now uh, 37 years ago. And so they asked me to do a feasibility study and business plan to set up our own financial institution in an area of Manitoulin Island. And we worked with seven First Nations there to set up a financial institution. So I just did the business plan for them. But later on, they asked me to, uh, after they tried to find somebody to run it, they were, they just, they said, Don, do you mind staying on to help us get things started just to to help out with that and i said well yeah sure I'll, of course i'll i'll do my best and try well that was 37 years ago and i've <laughs> been there since and uh it's a uh, it's it's an area that i thought it only needs common sense to make investment decisions i didn't really have uh i i did take uh, accounting at, in university. So, I, I, you know, when you talked about accounting earlier, I knew about the numbers and how to put the numbers together, but I never had any banking experience or finance experience in my life. But when I looked at it, I thought, oh, this just takes common sense. And if you have a really good board of directors, which we did, we put together people from our communities who are respected, because if you're starting a new organization, you have to make sure you have people that are respected. And in, in, in our area, we needed to have people who the communities felt that they're, they could share their dreams with and, you know, that would be confidential. So they, we needed to r- really focus on who was joining our board of directors. And so I had to help set up this board of directors so that we could establish that trust. 
And uh, so we have have always had a great board of directors with the organization I work with, which, which is called the Wabatech Business Development Corporation, and which I've managed for 37 years. And it's been fantastic. You managed and quite well, I might yes, add. Yeah, we've, uh, our, our loan loss rate is probably less than um, 2%. And even then, we work with our clients if they're struggling to keep the business afloat, we'll, we work out solutions with them. We don't call loans. We just try our best to see maybe a family member can take over the business. Even if it's a short term, we try different product lines. We try everything we can to keep the businesses operating. You know, it's all a matter of helping our clients to save face and to, you know, do achieve the dreams that they originally envisioned where we can. And we tempered their expectations, of course, to start out small. So that gives them a better chance of success over the long term. But yeah, that's how I got in the field of finance. It wasn't a plan. <laughs> wow, that's, uh, there's so many questions that I have in my mind. So I'm super excited to be having this conversation. A couple of things that you you touched on and, you know, it's re- it really is about bringing this holistic view and a different approach that's very aligned with our community values and the way that our Indigenous communities work so that, um, you know, we have a foot in both worlds, if you will, bec- because we work with our Indigenous communities so closely and our Indigenous people, we want to see them succeed. We want to see the communities progress and we want to just lift them up as best as we can all the time. I find that sometimes there is, you know, working in the Western world with the other foot, uh, we often have some some traditional conflict and, and there's um, we have our own traditional cultures and practices. And I'm just wondering, like, is that something that you have ever encountered? And if so, how do you navigate through that? Well, I have to tell you that um, one of the things that has always kept me focused is um, being connected to our teachings and our culture. That is so critical to the work we do. Um, So I've always made it a point to make sure, you know, I've attended our ceremonies and I've, I've always had a circle of um, elders who've guided me throughout the years. And, uh, and I, and I, I'm very fortunate that I have strong women in my family who have um, provided me with really good teachings that have helped carry me as well. So, Knowing uh, what those teachings are, sometimes, um, you know, we've seen examples where there has been some conflict. I'll I'll just give one example. One is uh, when we started up our tourism. In our area, we really did not like that industry because we felt we were being exploited in, in regards to tourism. And we felt that uh, other people were always telling our story and that we were only in the peripheral, you know, maybe sharing our culture, which is so beautiful, but really not having a say. So we had decided at the beginning that if we're going to get involved in this industry, we need to take control of it in our area. So we set up our own organization to promote Indigenous tourism. And it's a, they're called destination marketing organizations. And we wanted to have our own because there were the tourism that was happening in our communities. You'd have motor coaches with filled with tourists going through our communities. And we didn't know what was being shared about us. 
we didn't know anything that was going on about us. And so we ended up saying, well, you can't come into our communities without having one of our own step on guides to speak about our communities. So they weren't allowed to really come in to our communities anymore. So we taught our own people about, you know, the tourism industry, the hospitality, and we, we actually um, developed cultural integrity guidelines with our elders. So there were things, uh, guidelines that showed that we cannot sell ceremonies. Often, you know, people wanted to be part of a, maybe a sweat lodge ceremony was with absolutely not. That's not even allowed where the elders told us that will not be allowed and medicines can't be sold. Yeah. Things like that. So we have a whole list of cultural integrity guidelines. So that's how we operated our tourism businesses. We made sure that those weren't, that we respected what was considered maybe commercialization of our culture. We didn't really want to do that. But we did feel strongly that it's so important to tell our story and to share the beautiful aspects of our culture. So that's what we taught our guides to do, to talk about our beautiful history, to talk about the beautiful teachings of our people, and that everything that we did, we started establishing our own tourism accommodations. We had eco-lodges, but we even built our own hotel and conference center that's owned by the communities so that all of the elements of those lodges, like the eco-lodges, the uh, our uh, hotel, have elements of our culture in there. So everything that we do is teaching. And we have, in our region, cruise ships, that Great Lake cruise ships that would stop. So we would make sure that even though if we had a German cruise ship, we would welcome them in their language, in German. But then we would teach them our language throughout the day. So when they were leaving, they were speaking Ojibwe. We had them uh, (laughs) learning about our culture. And uh, so those are ways that we've been able to connect. But there's other industries too. And and, uh, when I think about industries such as mineral development, mining, which can also conflict with our protection of our lands. But unless we get involved in these industries, they'll always exploit us. So it's important for us to get involved and look at how we can make these industries more reflective of our values, of our teachings. In our area, we've been uh, looking at ways to participate in decision-making on what goes on in these industries by being on boards of directors, by making sure that our communities are fully informed about uh, the industry so that they know what the companies do, which companies are good to work with, which ones that uh, aren't. And uh, Mm -hmm. so we we look at how, uh, you know, the new technology now can be used to make resource development more sustainable, protecting our lands, doing uh, resource development in a, in a, actually a more sustainable way. Sometimes that costs money, but that's what, if that's what it takes, that's what we want to see. So there's, there's ways that we, I feel our indigenous leadership and our economic organizations, our own finance organizations can help bridge that divide so that we can make sure that our values, our teachings, our worldview are brought into those kinds of industries because we know that we can make them better. 
Uh, you know, that's a good point. And I absolutely agree with that. And I, I feel like there's certainly been this paradigm shift for our communities to push and advocate for more decision-making powers and moving that forward, you know, quite well. A lot of work still needs to be done, of course, but, you know, from a leadership role and I've heard people talking about rematriation and how do we get women's views or what is the, what is our indigenous women's role at these types of tables and what is the value that we can bring as women? Of course, because again, it's been predominantly men and I've worked with some fantastic male colleagues who I've learned so much from and continue to learn so much from. As a woman, sometimes I think, you know, is there a role for uh, the women in our community? Because there's been traditional roles for women, whether it's the caretakers, but there is really this incredible level of, of respect that exists, particularly within our communities. And now we're seeing a lot of women going into leadership roles and bringing values from a very different approach. What do you think are um, some of the important values and, and benefits of having women on these types of boards and a part of the decision-making processes? Well, I couldn't agree more that uh, this is something that's happening. I've heard right now uh, from uh, very respected uh, males that I work with that they, they see firsthand that the matriarchs are rising. And uh, to me, that's a, a real testament to the uh, uh, leadership that Indigenous women are bringing now to the important work of uh, business and economic development in Canada. So uh, there's all, already studies that show, uh, multiple studies actually, that show that uh, women on corporate boards, uh, you see a correlation with their participation and the increase in the bottom line increase and um, you know the, the the more types of sustainable work that's being done this is a when you look at business and economic development these are areas that really need women to be part of the equation when you look at the leadership and decision making roles we know that women are the first teachers of our people and um so it's important for us to also to lead by example in the work that we do to show how much we're uh, making a difference in in, um, in the world. And I think it's so critical that we have that type of uh, uh, role models or our role models. I'm proud to say that on the National Indigenous Economic Development Board, uh, I get to work along amazing Indigenous leaders, women leaders, and we make up the majority of the board. And I think the progress the board has made under the this leadership has has just been grown 10 times, I believe, in terms of productivity, having the women. We work extra hours. We help develop the National Indigenous Economic Strategy for Canada, having over 100 meetings in uh, two years and producing a really great report. But we worked weekends, evenings, outside of our regular jobs to get this strategy done. And to me, that's a real testament to the hard work of, of the whole group that worked together, but especially the uh, Indigenous women 
working together. And we have strong women across the country that I'm very proud of, including you, Jody. Thank you so much, John. And it's, you know, seeing women who have done this before me and with integrity and passion. And you're absolutely right, because everything we do is just to advance our communities and we're wanting to make things better. And I think there's a new type of leadership that exists. It's, a, it's about humanizing leadership and bringing empathy and compassion and really caring about the people that you work with and wanting them to succeed and do so well. And um, I, I love being a part of that. Um, I love talking to younger girls and, and women who are just starting their careers or younger girls and about finance, about business, so that, you know, these are things that uh, we can start by encouraging and engaging so that we continue to have some really strong Indigenous leaders for years and generations to come. So I, you know, I, I really say miigwech to everything that you have done for this space and continue to do th this space. And, and also, you know, you, you mentioned it earlier, Dawn, in terms of keeping that connection to your culture. And I think that is so important because it's really easy to get caught up in the day-to-day -day and the meetings and the flying and, you know, all this rat race, if you call it, that comes along with, um, you know, moving along in your career. There's so much to learn, but keeping that balance and using our medicines to help us stay balanced and remembering why we're doing this, the big why, and to never lose sight of where we've come from and who we're working for think is so important. So I, I really am grateful that you have brought that up. Now, we're, we're getting close to closing here, but I want to ask you, you know, if you were speaking to a class of, of young women, young future Indigenous leaders, what would you tell them? How do you get engaged and uh, what are things to remember? Well, thank you for that opportunity. I think that uh, if I, and I have spoken to young classes of Indigenous women. And one of the things I, I definitely talk to them about is to build on their natural gifts, talents, and skills that they have to, if they're looking at starting a business or in, in, in working towards a career that they, they're gonna, going to love. I always emphasize financial literacy because I, I know that in the past, uh, in, um, well, still today, I should say that oftentimes the Indigenous uh, women clients that I see, I, I don't think it's just Indigenous women, but a lot of women have credit issues because they didn't learn financial literacy. And so I think that it's so critical in, if you can in high school, if you could take classes, there's online ways to learn. There's groups focused on teaching Indigenous women about financial literacy. And we do have, the National Indigenous Women's Entrepreneurship Program that provides online workshops too. So you can find out through uh, the National our National Aboriginal Capital Corporation Association, which organization near you provides these online workshops. And you can be inspired by the numerous Indigenous women, young women who are starting businesses in every single field. They're, they're not, they're not only involved in, in the traditional uh, fields where women work, but there's women that are doing um, welding and in the trades and making artwork, such as Catherine Corbier on Manitoulin Island. We have women that are exporting products around the world, such as Anung Beam, who's, who's distributed uh, through uh, 
chapters and in, in Indigo. And it's just amazing. Of course, we know the iconic Jen Harper and what she's doing in, in terms of a, a business that's respecting our climate. But anyway, there's a lot of, uh, I think, things that women can learn from other women. And we need to raise each other up, help each other. And that's what I always want to make sure that we do. We need to support each other and, and speak in a positive way and where we can nominate women to receive, you know, recognition. I, we need to make that a goal of ours, each of us. So I just want to thank you for allowing me this opportunity today. And I say chimigwech to you as well, Jody, for this great work and uh, that you're doing. And um, I also appreciate uh, having the opportunity to share some thoughts t- today. Uh, it's really been my pleasure. And I wish I had an hour more to talk to you, Don, because I always learn and find myself so inspired. So keep keep doing what you're doing. Keep dancing. Keep that beautiful smile up and around because I, I can't tell you what a role model you are for, for so many of us. And um, I can't wait to continue to have these conversations and um, help support our women and their success and in their journey. So miigwech for joining us today, Dawn. It's been an absolute pleasure. To our listeners, miigwech for listening. And again, if you have enjoyed this podcast and want to learn more, please subscribe and share it with others. Post about it on your social media platforms or leave us a rating and review. To catch the latest from the FNFA, you can also find us on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, and we will make sure to include those in our notes. And if you want to know more about Dawn Madabi Leach, Type her name in Google and there is a laundry list of awards that she has won and initiatives and programs that she has participated in. So I encourage you to have a look because she's incredible. Be good, everyone. <laughs>